Please have a seat. I should pray and go home. I mean, not just because I'm wearing the jersey. I mean, we, we know you all think that. Um, and Jeremy said it, and he's, and he's right. There is nothing quite like being able to sing the gospel like that. Um, music does something. Uh, music is emotional. I mean, that's just the nature of music, and, and it being able to engage us in ways that, that the spoken word just can't. Man, I, uh, what a morning. <laughs> to be able to sing the good news of the gospel, to be able to sing knowing that we have a God who even when we decide to be foolish in our activity and wander from him, he will leave the 99 to search for the one. Right? Yeah. It's a good, good morning. So, yeah, take your Bibles. I'm not brave enough, sorry. <laughs> take your Bibles. Go to, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to go ahead towards the back, right outside those, those back doors there. There is... Uh, there are some Bibles available for you there. You can grab one of those and kind of follow us along. We are in the midst of our DNA series where we are um, kind of walking through and talking about uh, who we are as a church, what it is that God has called us to as a church. And so um, I, I did intentionally wear the, the jersey, but I also wore the bow tie, hoping that your hatred for the Patriots would be dissuaded a little when you got to see the fancy bow tie. Did it work? No. Um, I could tell you that already. Um, <laughs> and, and so you know, my, my, my wife and my youngest daughter, Audrey, are huge Eagles fans. Yes, yes. It did not surprise me that Jeremy picked the first song. I don't know if you noticed it included the whole idea of having wings as eagles. It's all good. Um, we're going to have a very quiet afternoon in the home, and around 6.30, Frank, for the sake of his marriage, is going to be the one that stays quiet, regardless of how the game goes. Um, no, we're excited. We're looking forward to being able to, to trash talk each other a little in the house. It'll be fun. <laughs> um, but, but it's interesting. As I look at 1 Thessalonians 2, um, and I'm going to kind of read through uh, the first uh, eight verses to set our, our pace for the morning. And then I'll backtrack a little bit and explain a little bit about our DNA. So let's, let's read the text together. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And, and you hear Paul's message to this church in a place called Thessalonica, these believers who are the Thessalonian believers, and he says this to them, starting in verse 1. You yourselves know, my brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I'll stop there. That is my application for wearing this jersey this morning. I'm going to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So if you remember back in our DNA series, we talked about why our church even exists. What is the purpose of Uniontown Bible Church? And that purpose is to bring glory to God. And what, what Paul is saying here is we came to you, you know how we came to you, and when we spoke to you, we didn't speak to make you happy, we spoke to make God happy. We opened our mouths to put a smile on his face. Continuing, verse 5, we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is the witness to that. We didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. 
But instead, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So, so again, the purpose, to bring glory to God, and then last week we spoke about our mission. What is the mission of Uniontown Bible Church? And we, we boiled it down to when the, the one approached, the lawyer approached Jesus and asked him, so what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response to the, to the lawyer was, you know well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And so the first part of our mission is to love God most, above and beyond all others. And we actually hear that bleeding out of Paul's voice as he speaks about we did all of these things to put a smile on our God's face. We spoke as God's mouthpiece because we wanted to please him. We love him, we adore him, we're amazed by what he's done for us, and so how could we not speak? We love God most. The second part of our mission was we love others best. And, and you have to understand, loving others best doesn't mean we, we raise them to a place where we worship them as a small g God, where we put their needs above the needs of everyone else, where we put their needs up on this pedestal and, and, and basically we, we center our entire life on that individual. That's not the case. We can only love others best as we love God most. If we put God in as our priority relationship in life, and then, then all of our responses, reactions to that primary relationship are going to be that we serve others well. We're going to talk about that a little bit today as we talk about the very vision of Uniontown Bible Church moving forward. Um, well, you know what? I'm just, going to, I'm just going to throw it up there because I don't know how to ease into it. There's no transition. Our vision is this, to intentionally share the gospel of Jesus while serving and building relationships in our community and beyond. To intentionally share the gospel of Jesus while serving and building relationships in our community and beyond. This is what we believe it will look like if we are faithful to our mission. If we are faithful to our mission to love God most and love others best, then what that's gonna look like as it plays out is this. We're going to intentionally share the gospel of Jesus while serving and building relationships with others in our community and beyond. You're going to hear that a couple million times, and maybe even just this morning. Um, It's wonderful words, it's great verbiage, it's put together well, it's a good sentence, a lot of people have put their input in, but but i got to be careful and make sure you understand, this isn't just a bunch of words. This is an urgent task. Why? Why? I'm going to give you two reasons this is an urgent task for Uniontown Bible Church in this very moment. The first one is going to make some of you very uncomfortable. That's okay. Uh, just hear me out, okay? The first reason that this is an urgent task is because of the, the current reality of Uniontown Bible Church. The current reality of Uniontown Bible Church, and we, we, we praise God. This is not a bad thing. We praise God. We are seeing growth numerically here at Uniontown Bible Church. Praise God for that. However, 99% of that growth has been through church transfer or church transplant. Many of you are here as a, after leaving other churches to come to this place. And, and listen, I'm, there's a lot of stuff that could go into this discussion, and we can have that discussion later. I just want to say this. That cannot be our passion as a church. If our passion as a church is to get more rear ends in the seats, we have already lost our vision or our mission to love God most. If our passion is to fill the parking lot, then we are in trouble. 
So I praise God, and I do, I praise God. I know many of you have come here as a result of seeking a a church that aligns with your understanding of God's word, and man, I praise God for you. So please don't hear that I'm I'm trying to chase you out. I am not trying to empty seats, okay? But, but, But as a church, we need to be aware of it, celebrate that, pour into these people, and then come along, along, alongside, I'll get the word eventually, alongside each other, linking arms, and then run out because the second reason this is an urgent task is because the world around us is lost and going to hell. You see, the reason, the second reason this is an urgent task is, is that you and I have been placed into each of our contexts, whether it be our homes, our schools, our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces. We've all been placed there, as as 2 Corinthians 5 calls us, ambassadors of God. We have been there, placed there as agents of reconciliation to be the very mouthpiece of God. You understand, as an ambassador, you don't get to choose your own message. As an ambassador, you go to the very throne room of God, and you hear the message, and that is what you carry to other people. And and, and folks, I... Maybe, maybe I should be careful. I, I, I don't ever, <laughs> I don't know how we could possibly say we're assuming the gospel in this place. Since already in, in all of the songs, the gospel was clearly laid out. But I want to be sure we don't assume that anybody sitting here understands what the gospel is. I mean, but really, the nuts and bolts of it is the gospel is the declaration of the good news that, 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 that we are separated from God because of our sin. And it's interesting, if you look at Psalm 51, it talks about uh, while we were formed, while we were in our mother's womb, we were already in sin. Sin has been woven into the very fabric of our genetic makeup. Psalm 58, I think it is, talks about how when we came from the womb, our native language, it wasn't English, it wasn't goo-goo-gaga, it was lying and deceit. I mean, that, that's how broken we are. So we are separated from God because of our sin, and the gospel tells us that that's who we are, and then it contrasts us to the very righteousness and holiness of God in whom there is no sin, there is no variation, there is no change. And we'd be in trouble if that's where the message stopped. But the good news of the gospel is that it goes on to to, to explain, to describe how Christ, who is fully God, stepped into our time clothed in the very flesh that you and I wear right now and added to his full deity, full humanity. A fancy term for that theologically is the hypostatic union. How a 100% God and 100% man, that's fuzzy math. But in the hypostatic union, it is absolutely truth. So he didn't just come to step in and say, ta-da, here I am. He came in our human flesh to live a life of full obedience to everything that God had commanded, something that you and I could never do. And then, and then he, would, he would get up on the cross as a substitutionary uh, atonement for us. He would take our place as a, as a sinner. He would stay in our place. And, and as a sponge, he would absorb all of our sin. And as a sponge, he would absorb the, the full wrath of God for our sin upon himself. And in three hours, wrap your head around this, in three hours, he took our eternal sentence. And he was buried. And then three days later, he was resurrected. Literally, physically, visibly walking among his people, walking among many witnesses until that moment where when he's standing on the mountain with the disciples and he ascends to be at the Father's right hand and in his presence, he's he's not just like, okay, you got nothing to do now. No, he's daily interceding for you and I. 
He's daily advocating for you and I as Satan makes his accusations against us. He is our representative. He is our attorney. And that is not a bad attorney to have. Because as he speaks to the Father, as Satan's accusations against us are in fact most times true. I am a sinner. I do fall down. I continue to be arrogant. And Jesus says, yep, I died for those sins, Father. That one's mine. So, so there he is being an intercessor and an advocate. All up until the time when he comes bursting through the clouds. Have you, yeah, I'm sure you have. Have you ever pictured that moment? I mean, it says there's going to be a trumpet, so I'm hoping it's not just one. And I hope it's in tune because there's nothing more painful than a trumpet out of tune. I'm sure it's angelic, it'll be wonderful. But at that moment, he will come bursting through the clouds to claim to himself his own. And that's the gospel message. That's that's what we want to intentionally share with people in our community and beyond. The the fact that that, that, that one day, not, not just one day I cross from death to life, but right now I live according to that same gospel. I have the power to make it through each day because Jesus died for me. He rose for me, and he continues to live for me, and he's coming back for me. I mean, that's why we sing the gospel. We sing the gospel. It is interesting. I think sometimes we think the gospel is for those who are are not believers, but it's not. It's also for believers, because we need to, just as you received Christ, so walk in him. So in that moment where you fell on your face and said, I have nothing, I need a savior, guess what? That's the same belief you should have today. I have nothing, I need a savior and so we remind each other of the gospel as we sing. Um, one of the dangers we, well, there's three dangers, and I'm going to run through uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, and we're going to focus on verse 8, okay? And, and there's three dangers to us falling off of what is our vision, falling off of or away from being able to do this, to, to intentionally share the gospel of Jesus while serving and building relationships in our community and beyond. There's, there's a few dangers that can come up, and I think, I think, Paul gives us the positive. I'm going to present it as a negative and then jump into it and show us how we could do it uh, well. One of the big dangers of us not being able to live within our vision and accomplish what it is God's called us to do as a church, both corporately and individually, is we can become disconnected with those who need Jesus. Let me explain. So when the gospel is preached to us and we fall on our face and we receive it for ourselves, there is a tendency... (laughs) <laughs> that, that being in Christ for a period of time can lead us to have a level of comfort. Um, we can almost become, and I'll use a word that I don't use in the pulpit very often, snooty, um, condescending, because we have the answer and they don't. And so we get, we get comfortable around believers, we get uncomfortable around unbelievers, and that, that's how, how can you tell this is happening? How can you tell you're becoming disconnected with those who need Jesus? One of the ways, one of the signs, one of the signals that you need to be aware of is when you start using this new language. You start praying for a hedge of protection. Do you know what a hedge of protection is? Tim Hawkins has a great bit on that, actually. It's bushes. That's a hedge. But, but we've, we've uh, kind of absorbed this vernacular. We pray for a hedge of protection. We sign our emails with blessings or grace and peace to you. We tell people we covet their prayers. 
That's an interesting Christianese phrase because I'm pretty sure one of the commandments says don't covet. Just saying. Okay, this is, okay, you guys take this way too serious. Here, let me give you one. This will help. Are you ready? ready? Here's another sign you're falling for the new language. You slip and answer your telephone, dear Heavenly Father. <clears throat> Honesty time. How many of you have done that? I have. No, I'm the only one. You are a bunch of liars. That's point two. It's coming. Get ready. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, one of the problems is we become so disconnected with reality around us that we live in this, this bubble. And so we come to this bubble and pretend like we can't see outside until it actually happens. We can't see outside the bubble. We're so inverted and introspective and so focused on ourselves that we're in trouble. And what we need to do is beg God for the desire to engage and to connect with other people who are outside of the walk with Christ. First Corinthians, oh, sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Look at verse 8. He says this. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. He, Paul says, when I looked at the Thessalonians, there was this affectionate desire that welled up within me. I was so affectionately desirous of you. So what, is, what does that mean? It means it's a strong desire to be with someone. It's actually a, a discontent when you're not with them. It, it's this, this, this ongoing desire. It just continues. That, that phrase, this <clears throat> affectionate desire, is packed with emotion. Do, do you want to see a, a perfect picture of affectionate desire is, is when moms drop off their, their preschoolers in one of the toddler rooms and the baby just freaks out because they don't want anybody but mom. Nobody but mom. That's an affectionate desire. I'll, I'll give you one from my own past. I, I'm going to confess one of the gravest sinful comments I've ever made in my marriage. Um, <clears throat> Jordan was about three months old, and uh, I came home from work because I was, so I was a seminary student, so I, my day went like this. I got up at six. I had class at 7.30, I think. I worked till around noon. I worked then after taking classes all morning. I worked from 12 to 9, which actually, if you ask Steph, it was usually 12 to 10.30 or 11. I'd get home at 11, eat dinner with Stephanie, she'd go to bed, and then I was supposed to study until two in the morning. That happened occasionally. If I studied until two in the morning, then I got up at six and started the day over. So that was, my, that was my schedule. And so I'm working in this rough schedule, and we had this new baby at home, and I came home one day, and I looked, and you know, the house was kind of in disrepair. And so the comment that I made, <laughs> exactly, you see, you're ahead of me. You know exactly what I said, don't you? What do you do all day? <laughs> I know. I know. Hey, I'm in the future too. I now know it wasn't a good idea. Um, and, and she was gracious. I don't remember her answer. I just remember that we had a long conversation following that. <laughs> she was gracious. Um, and then um, we had decided before we had kids um, that one of the problems with Stephanie being at home with the kids is that if a child got sick, she was, she was never able to leave the house, especially with my schedule. Our, our church had morning services and evening service, so we had decided that if one of our kids got sick, she would stay home in the morning and then we would switch so she could just get out of the house Sunday evening and go. We went to my in-law's house, which happened to be just a couple hundred yards from the church building. And uh, Sunday evening, Jordan was sick and she was going to go to church. And so everything's good, everything's perfect. I'm like, yeah, this is no big deal. What, an hour and a half, two hours, even if she goes out and hangs out afterwards, two and a half hours, no big deal. My mother-in-law will be home, it'll be fine. And so everybody goes to church, it's me and Jordan. And I swear, the moment she got out of sight, the little rebel 
lost his mind. And it wasn't 15 minutes, no exact, 15 minutes. And I was standing at the window with my son in my hand like, please come back. (laughs) There was an affectionate desire in my heart like, return, safe both of us at this point. Right? It's it's packed with emotion. And and this one's a little more serious. There's actually, during this time period, on on any of the headstones that were used when parents would have to bury children, this was the term that was used. I just just miss them. I just want to be with them. I want to enjoy their company. To intentionally share the gospel of Jesus while serving and building relationships with our community and beyond. It takes an effect affectionate desire like that. I so badly want to be there. I so badly want to be involved in their lives. But too often we allow ourselves to become disconnected from them. And if we allow ourselves to become disconnected from them, there is no way we can love them best. So one of the dangers of us, um, one of the dangers for us and where we will fail in this area is if we become disconnected. The second danger is this, we'll become too safe. Um, the tendency for us with other people, particularly when it comes to the gospel, is this. We'll either, one, share the gospel with people, or two, we'll give ourselves in relationships to people, but we won't do both. And then understand why. I mean, when we share the gospel with people, we feel safe because we're doing it kind of like an air war. I mean, we're we're dropping gospel bombs from 35,000 feet. We have no relationship with these people, but we have no problem standing from a distance, pointing a finger and saying, you need Jesus! You need, because there's no cost. But, but when you have friends who don't know Christ and they need them, we tend to not introduce the gospel because those relationships, that's risky. We're trying to preserve ourselves. But we need to understand that those who are outside of Christ, those who have no understanding of what it means that Jesus died for them other than it's a, it's a quaint little saying they hear often, they need to see the work of the gospel in our lives. They, they, they need to see both. We need to have relationships with them and be willing to share the gospel with them. That means sharing the reality of what the gospel looks like. The reality of the gospel is exactly what we were talking about before. I still sin. I still struggle. I still fail. And God's still working on me. The problem is, the world, when they hear the name of Jesus, they see him as a cosmic killjoy who keeps us from having any fun. They see, they see Jesus as the one who, when we fail, whacks us. They see Jesus as the one who makes us weird. They, they, they see Christians as do-good moralists who don't care about the needs of the people around them. And that's... A, result of us being so safe that we stay from a distance and just launch gospel bombs at them with never building a relationship with them. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't all of these things that the world sees. The gospel is as you receive Christ, so walk in him. The gospel is the Holy Spirit puts his finger in my soul, that, that bittersweet moment where he points out that area in my life where I continue to fail, continue to falter, or I, I have clung to, to to try to protect my own. He says, no, 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 that one. Yield that one. And when the Holy Spirit puts that finger in my life, and I confess my sin, God still loves me just the same. See, that's the gospel. But, but we've allowed this false 
definition of the gospel to exist, and we've played it so safe. But instead of playing it safe, we need to seek to serve and build relationships, right? So, so you look back again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. He says, we were, we were ready. The idea there is, is it kind of misses it a little bit in translation. It's, we were ready, we were prepared, so we consistently did it. But, but actually, a better understanding of that phrase is this. We took pleasure in doing this. We enjoyed doing this. It made us happy, so we were ready to do this. So we were, we were ready to share with you. Don't think child in the nursery sharing a toy. That's not sharing in this word. See, with that, it's I'm going to give you my toy and I'm going to hover around you till you give it back. It's more like sharing food. I'm going to cut off a piece and give it to you and please don't give it back. But probably best understood is someone who's a living donor. When somebody's in need of a kidney or liver, when that person sacrificially and bravely and courageously volunteers to serve that other person, by sharing with them. It's to give them something and never getting it back, letting them leave with it. Paul says, hey, we were ready. We were, we were happy to do this, so we were ready to share with you the gospel. We already talked about the gospel, how to be made right with God, and that is only through Jesus Christ. We were joy-filled and ready to do that, to give you the gospel, to leave it in your hands, but not just the gospel, but being intimately involved in the lives of these other people. He says, we were ready to share with you the gospel and our own selves. That's scary, isn't it? That's scary two ways. First of all, when you're sharing your own self, the idea with it is you're living transparently with these people and sharing them who you really are. That's terrifying. The reason it's terrifying is because when you share your own self, well, we've all had experiences in the past where we've been hurt, haven't we? We've all had experiences in the past when we've been offended and violated when we have tried to share with other people. And Paul says, no, 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 this, this is what you need to pray for. This is, what you, this is what we did. This is what we need to do as Uniontown Bible Church. We, we need to be affectionately desirous of those people so that we continue to remain connected. And we need to be ready to share the gospel and ourselves with these people. This is an imperative uh, process. This is must happen. The, 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 the enthusiasm and energy that needs to be behind this must continue. It cannot stop. Why? Why should we be so insistent about this? Here's the point. You may be the only person who knows Christ in the life of that other person. At work, School, at home, in your neighborhood, in your community. Who knows? I mean, honestly, I don't live next door to your neighbors. You do. I don't work with your boss. You do. So if you don't speak up, who will? Who will? We, we, we stay disconnected. We, we tend to stay safe. But if we do those things, we can't possibly be loving them best. And if we stay disconnected and we stay safe, then what happens is we become numb. We, we lose the urgency that we need to have. 
And, and, and that's a huge problem. I mean, one of the things that we need to wrap our heads around is that, that we love people who are outside the fold of Christ by grieving over their spiritual condition every day. Um, here's the problem. In today's Christian culture, when you hear a phrase like that, grieve over their spiritual condition, the, the natural outcome today is that means I get to talk down to them. I'm going to grieve over their spiritual condition by firing off this, this fiery Facebook post that condemns their way of life. I'm going to grieve over their spiritual condition that, that when I come into contact with it, I'm going to face it with intense sarcasm. You'll get yours. Okay, and, and we've all got stories like this, and, and I don't want to spend time on this, but I, I just mentioned it, okay? I have heard preachers in the past talk about how unbelievers will be kindling for the eternal fire. Shame. It's my family you're talking about. You think you're something? Apart from Christ, what are you? Kindling for the eternal fire. I mean, if that's your response, you're no better than the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan, right? I mean, you remember the story. There was Jesus tells a story. There's a man who comes down from Jerusalem. He's heading to Jericho, and and along the way, there's a band of robbers who attack him. They strip him nearly naked, they steal all of his belongings, and they leave him half dead on the side of the road. And it just so happens a priest walks by, leaving Jerusalem, heading back to Jericho. It's probably because he went to Jerusalem to worship, of all things. He's leaving worship, and he sees ahead of him this man lying in the ditch half dead, and his response is to cross to the other side of the road so he can pretend like he didn't see him. And there's the Levite. Now, the, the Levite is basically a priest's assistant, also a professional Christian. He leaves worship in Jerusalem, heading for Jericho, and he happens up along the scene, and he sees the man laying in the ditch half dead, and he crosses to the other side of the road and continues on because, you know, can't have any of that. I, I, I was, and I said this last week, I think at one point, I, I was amazed, um, just the... the the reality that these are two professional religious people who I am certain stood in the, the synagogue or the temple in Jerusalem and said, we need to love our neighbors as ourselves." And then as soon as they're given the opportunity to do so, they cross by on the other side of the road. Man, if, if we're lashing out at those who are in a dark spiritual condition, we're no better than they are. That's not how we treat them. You know how we treat them? It's so goofy. Um, we treat them like a child who's learning how to walk. There is no more dangerous time in the life of a human being than when they're learning how to walk. Two, well, there's a couple reasons. First, they don't know how to walk, and their balance is atrocious because they got this big, giant melon, and wherever that thing leans, that's where they're going. So, so the, the objective in learning to walk is to be able to strengthen the neck enough so they can keep the head right above. Because once they go this way, it's like, eh. well, how do you teach a child to walk? 
Do you stand over them and like, you should do it this way, do it this way. No, no. Do you coach them up? Show them video? <laughs> no. And you, you get behind them and give them your fingers. And then you just kind of lead them along. Just keep leading them along. And eventually they, they get the strength of the neck that's needed. The body grows into their head a little bit. They get used to the balance. But when you're numb, you stand back and just shoot accusations at them. And Hey, Uniontown, and I mean this. We do need to do better at discipleship and mentorship here. But so, so just with that in mind, let me talk to you more mature believers. Those of you, and that doesn't mean age, that just means you've been in Christ longer. The, the, our young believers need more mature believers to get into the struggle with them. You got your eyes open? Or is this a comfortable Christianity where you get to come and sit, drink coffee, sing great songs, and get in your car and drive home and not think about it again until next week? This is what unbelievers need around us. Yeah, they, they, they need us to warn them of God's wrath, but they also need to be welcomed into the embrace of Jesus. To do one without the other is failure. See, Paul says to them in, in verse 8 again, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That, that become very dear to us. It centers around the very love of God. In fact, the root word there is agape. It's a self-sacrificing, unwavering love of God. And, and that love, that, that being dear to us, is demonstrated in action. That love isn't a noun, it's a verb. So, so read John 3.16 with the verb in mind, not the noun. For God so loved the world. How did he love the world? He loved the world by demonstrating to them at their lowest point how far he would go to rescue them. And if he did that for us, how dare we withhold that from other people who are struggling? That, that love is demonstrated in action, but that love is also experienced in a relationship. Uh, we, we live life with them. You, you, okay, so um, Stephanie and I have been Married for 22 years, 22 and a half years, somewhere around there. Um, I can tell her I love her. But unless she sees me care for her, unless she sees me work to learn her weaknesses, not so I can take advantage of them, but so I can serve her in her weakness, until she sees me come alongside her in the middle of her greatest heartbreak. Until she sees me continue to care and love her and, and show great concern for her. When she fails, then she'll never understand the total depth of the love that I have for her. Because our love is experienced in relationship and that relationship is just layer after layer after layer after layer. People around us need us to demonstrate our love and God's love for them in action and to continue to work to build that relationship so that they can see it and sense it. Second Kings 7 is an amazing story. Samaria is being besieged. They're without food. The people are starving. 
There's four lepers who are outside the city because as a leper, you're not allowed in the city. You're kicked out of the city. So they're the outside of the city. And, and they look at each other after this, this siege has happened for so long. And they look at each other and they're having a conversation, one leper to another leper, and they say this. Here's the deal. Okay, we're going to die one way or another. I mean, if we stay outside the city, we're going to die. We go into the city, they don't have any food, we're going to die. But if we go and join the enemy's camp, I mean, we may die, but we may also eat because they got food there. And so as they talk amongst themselves, it becomes obvious that the the right choice, the, the good decision for them, the one that may allow them to live at some point is to abandon the external side of the city, not go into the city that's being besieged, but instead go into the enemy's camp. So they leave their place, they head into the enemy's camp, and, and you, can you imagine that? I mean, you're like, okay, what do we, all right, how do, how do we, let's rehearse our speech a little. Hi, we're lepers, don't get too close, sorry. Uh, might I have a morsel? I mean, what, they got to be practicing, and as they come into the camp, what they find is the enemy's gone, and all the stuff is still there. As the, the, the narrator of the story goes, he, he jumps in and says, yeah, because um, uh, God sent his angelic forces, and they flee in, in, in absolute terror, thinking that, that Samaria had hired other people to come in and protect them, and they had made a pact with somebody. And so, so the enemy just took off. They were gone. They were nowhere to be seen. And the four lepers walk into a camp that is filled with gold, filled with silver, and filled with food. You want to see four happy individuals. I mean, they're, they're just, and what, what, what their first response is, nobody's here. We don't know when they're coming back. I found gold. Let's go hide it. And so they snag as much gold as they can. And they go run and out and they hide it. And they come back and they're like, just don't let here. Look at all this. And they grab a better pile and they bring it and they hide it. And at some point in this process, the lepers look at each other and the comment is astonishing. They say this. We do not well. Here we are. With all we could ever want. And back home. There are people starving to death. Look what great bounty God has given to us. Shame on us for hoarding it ourselves. And that's why we believe the vision of this place must be to intentionally share the morsels while serving and building relationships with those people in our community and beyond. Shame on us if we don't run fast. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for your work, your love. Lord, I'm grateful that you entrust us with such a beautiful gift of the gospel. I'm amazed that, that you trust us with that gift. Lord, we have failed many times. We, we do not well. So Lord, I ask for forgiveness for myself, for our church. Lord, I pray you would open our eyes to the people around us. May we not be disconnected. Lord, help us to get outside the bubble. Let us get off the hill. Lord, help us not get to the place where we're just numb and oblivious to the need of the people who are outside this place. Lord, instead I ask that you would light a fire underneath us that you would remind us of what it means to be lost so that we could reach them with great compassion and mercy. Lord, help us to consider what it is you've done for us. 
and be so overwhelmed we can't help but open our mouths. Thank you for Christ. Amen.